Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are recording on location in the Milford Sound, and the Milford Sound is a World Heritage Site, part of Fiordland National Park. And it is by far the largest national park in New Zealand. If you take all of the national parks in New Zealand, you put them together, they still will be more space left over in Fiordland National Park. We are recording at the Padalon Inn, which is the guide housing for my company, Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, which is New Zealand's best sea kayaking. And I'm sitting here with two friends of mine, Chris and Stephanie. And today I'm going to be speaking with Chris. Chris Ewart is from Geraldine, New Zealand. He has been whitewater rafting and kayaking since he was 13 years old. Now he can be found guiding whitewater on the forks of the American River. Well, first of all, Chris, thank you so much for joining me here on the Trail Less Traveled and spinning some stories for us today. Oh, thank you very much, Mandela, and thank you for the lovely sea kayaking trip this morning. It was very, very nice. Awesome. Yeah, it was really rad. We saw some seals and the water was nice and glassy clear, which was completely different from yesterday. We had 15 knots and some choppy waves yesterday, but that's the conditions here in the Milford Sound. It changes every five minutes. Chris, my first question for you is, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Well, I grew up in Geraldine, New Zealand. It's in the South Island. It's about two hours south of Christchurch on the east coast pretty small little town quiet not that much going on there but there's a lot of really beautiful scenery in the way of the rivers the backcountry area and i grew up on a little raspberry farm that actually sits right next to the waihee river so adventuring used to be climbing trees and hanging out with my three brothers and walking around the riverbeds I grew up on this little raspberry farm. It's 10 acres of soft berry fruit. It has raspberries, gooseberries, tay berries, which are a cross between a raspberry and a blackberry, bred in Tayside, Scotland. It has red currants, white currants, boysenberries, and a few other berries that I can't think of right now, but that is Stankardu berry fruit. You'll find them on the main north road going from Christchurch to Gildeen. Great place to stop and get your raspberries. Say hi to my mum and dad. I used to help out doing the sales and as I like talking to people at a young age my parents always said that I talked a bit too much so it was a good easy way to talk to people and sell some raspberries. My dad also liked having a little family labor which is a good reason to have four boys or four girls. Growing up in Gildeen, I was very fortunate to have a really great outdoor ed teacher. He was actually a science teacher by the name of Drew Brown, who started up a fantastic outdoor ed program at my high school and also early on even did kayak club, which allowed us to get out in a kayak once a week. I credit a lot to him for getting me into the outdoors and not just 
following a job that I felt like I probably should have done by going to university. Before I went to Araki Polytechnic for Outdoor Ed, I was actually working as an in-house salesman, wearing a shirt and tie every day to work. And at the time, I thought I had it all sorted because I was making really good money and I was doing what I thought would be really successful. But it was my dad who really pushed me towards, you should go and do this Outdoor Ed course. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I just went and did it for the first year just out of fun. And then I've never really thought about going back to a financial-based job since because it's just a lot nicer. Tell us about your parents. How did they help you evolve into an adventurer? My mom is from Aberdeen, Scotland, and my dad's from Auckland, New Zealand. My dad was traveling through America, and then he went over to the UK to work in the oil fields, and that's when he ran out of money, couldn't get on the oil fields because of his bad stomach, uh, not being able to deal with the helicopter rides and stuff out to the rigs. So he ended up working as a dishwasher, and that's where he met my mom. They traveled together for quite a while, backpacking around through Europe. They finally moved and settled in New Zealand. It was my mom's first time coming to New Zealand. My dad definitely gave me a lot in the way of value towards the outdoors and value towards nature. I remember a really, really nice time going up to a mountain station that he used to work on called Saddle Peak. It's visible from my parents' place. And he used to work up there mustering, gathering up the animals. And he took me up there one day. I was probably 11, 12. I was really into playing computer games at the time and thought that that was where my future lay with computers. But he took me out walking to help get the animals. And I remember we walked up to the top, the peak of Saddle Peak, and not really for any good reason, but we were standing up there and I remember the clouds cleared and all of a sudden we got the spectacular view down over the Canterbury Plains and it was just really beautiful. I remember saying to my dad that this is something that computers can't give you and from there on out that was just a really big turning point. I stopped playing PlayStation so much and started wanting to get out in my kayak, I wanted to go walking with friends. It was a big turning point for that. We are recording on location in New Zealand in Fjordland National Park. We are in the Milford Sound, which is the 14th and most northern fjord in Fjordland National Park on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. We are speaking with Chris Ewart from Geraldine, New Zealand. He's been whitewater boating since he was 10 years old, and you can find him guiding on the forks of the American River. Chris, I'd like for you now to share a moment with us perhaps share an experience with us where you learned a lesson from this experience, perhaps a lesson that you can share with the listeners. The outdoors give you a lot of really testing moments and a lot of times where you feel really challenged and pushed. One of the moments which jumped to mind right now was about two years after I'd started training full-time rafting in Rotorua, my left shoulder stopped working, stopped operating for me. I could move it about two or three inches away from my hip, but I couldn't lift it up above my shoulder with its own strength. I could use the other arm to lift the hand up above my head, but it would just fall straight back down again. I was very upset and sad. I was even more upset and sad when I went and saw doctors and specialists and they gave me MRI scans and ultrasounds 
had told me that I would not raft or kayak or do any physical exercise involving my shoulder again. By just really good luck, or maybe that she was extremely smart lady, my neighbor, this big Maori lady, Midi, who I didn't really know at the time, but is an amazing body worker, had decided to come over to Tauranga, where I was having my appointment with the specialist, and get some flowers. And she picked me up from the hospital, from the specialist, and I was in tears because I just had my life told that I had made a big mistake and I should have gone to university. And I was pretty well buggered, so I was upset. She picked me up, she listened to me for a while, and then she started to tell me about how, well, that doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be what they're telling you it can be. You can do what you want, really. And she told me that you don't have to listen to them you can come over to my place tomorrow and we can do some work. So that's what I did. I had nothing to lose. I walked over to her place and she performed some very serious massage and kind of rotating my shoulder. Felt like she kind of pulled it out of place and then relocated it. It wasn't painful at all, but I do remember after the appointment... We smoked a little bit of weed. She was all against me smoking any tobacco, which at the time I was smoking spliffs and still do actually. But she said that I should just smoke just only marijuana and that would be better for my healing. We smoked a little bit and then I walked the five minute walk back to my place just across the driveway there and I fell asleep for a number of hours. This was in the morning. I'd only really been awake for maybe two hours. And I went back to sleep straight away. My body was just needing to heal. She got me onto eating a lot of meat, a lot of red meat, about a pound and a half a day during the time I was recovering and taking liquid magnesium. But for me, it was a really interesting thing because I had grown up with the belief that doctors were the be all and final decision when it came to medicine and that they knew what was best for me. And just having this experience completely changed my view on it made me realize that my body is mine and it's unique to me they can't tell you exactly what is going on it's their best recommendation with the information they have at the time i do respect doctors for their jobs but i just think it's important to note that it's your own body about a month and a half after Medi started doing her work with me i flew to california for the first time with my arm just starting to heal and it was about two weeks after being in California that I was able to do my first pull-up. And it was in a hotel room in L.A. And this was just such a momentous occasion for me. I felt so happy because my life was not just coming back, but coming back with a much better understanding of how I felt about it. It was pretty cool, really. <laughs> Very hard thing to go through, though. We're recording on location in Fjordland National Park, which is on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. And the trail less traveled today is featuring Chris Ewart, who is from Geraldine, New Zealand. He's been whitewater boating since he was 10 years old, and you can find him guiding on the forks of the American River. When we come back, we're going to learn more about some of the places that Chris's adventures has taken him in this lifetime. But Chris, now it's time to play a song. So can you think of a song that takes you back? that reminds you of your early childhood. It would just have to be anything from the Beach Boys in the sense that when I'd wake up in the morning to go to school, my dad would always have the radio playing. My mum worked evenings, so I wouldn't see her in the morning, but my dad was always awake and ready 
to get us ready for school so he would have the music going and it was always his Beach Boys that he would choose or something like that so the Beach Boys. Hey there, Mandela here. I'm currently guiding sea kayaking expeditions in Fjordland, which is on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. While I'm living and exploring here, I am constantly wearing my favorite skirt, handmade by a friend of mine in Missoula, Montana. Her name is Karen, and her skirts are Karuna clothing. My skirt is handmade from a blend of organic hemp and cotton. Karuna clothing is handcrafted with natural fabrics, which soften as they age. Karuna clothing fits the moods and landscapes of this glacier-shaped landscape in Fjordland National Park, or wherever your adventures take you. Visit karunaclothing.com to find out more about this soft, organic, handmade attire. That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com. Back to Mandela and the trail less traveled. We are recording in Fjordland National Park. We are in the most northern fjord, which is called the Milford Sound. And kind of sounds weird hearing Milford Sound in Fjordland National Park because it's actually a misnomer. It's actually a fjord. But they call it Milford Sound because... The man who named this place named it after Milford Haven, which is in Wales. And the difference between a fjord and a sound, a fjord is shaped by glaciers and a sound is shaped by a river. And a fjord often has more of a U shape to it and very steep slopes and a sound has more of a V shape. We're here in the Avery, which is part of the guide housing for my company that I work for called Roscoe's Milford Kayaks some of the best sea kayaking in New Zealand. And I just felt the sun come through the roof, which is pretty brilliant because this month already we've had over a meter of rain. This place on average gets seven meters of rain per year, which is way more rain than the Amazon rainforest gets. So it's a lucky day to get some sun. And I'm sitting here with my two friends, Steph and Chris, and I'm interviewing Chris today. Chris is from Geraldine, New Zealand. He's been whitewater boating since he was 10 years old, and now you can find him guiding on the forks of the American River. Chris, earlier you spoke about Medi, which was a Maori woman who basically shaped the path that you're on right now by giving you the ability to use your shoulder again, which in the world of guiding, kayaking, and rafting is kind of important to be able to use your shoulder. So she did some body work with you, and you found yourself in California able to do pull-ups again. What a gift to have your body back. As an adventure guide, this is something that I think most of us don't take for granted because in this industry, you hurt yourself sometimes and to get back to where you were is definitely a gift every time it happens. Unfortunately, in this industry, we sometimes lose people that are closest to us. Yep, the outdoors, you definitely lose some friends from time to time, not just from making poor decisions. The friend of mine that has affected my life the most in the way of his passing was a really very, very close friend. We actually travelled down here to Milford together two different times. Always had a blast, had some really fun adventures on the river. His name was Daniel Andrews, or Dan Andrews. He was a man who lived life at 210% every day. 
He wasn't necessarily the fittest character, smoked like a train when I first met him, but he was definitely the most determined person I've ever met. And after getting to meet his dad and his brothers and getting to know more about where he came from, I could understand that Dan unfortunately passed away on a train in Sydney, Australia, when he was working over there as a guide in the Blue Mountains. Dan loved life so much that he would sometimes do some things that some people would consider reckless or silly. He decided when he was on this train in Sydney that he was going to climb up on the roof of the train and ride the top of the train. As I said, could sound reckless to some people, but if you knew him, it makes a lot of sense. He unfortunately hit one of the power lines that was powering the train, and this was what caused him to pass away. It was a very hard, hard time to just have this happen. It was very close, actually, to when I got to meet Mehdi. But just another little snippet about Dan, just about him loving life so much. I remember driving through the Cutterell Gorge, coming into Queenstown, and a few of us had been having a few drinks and on the way down for a big night out in Queenstown, and Dan was in the back seat of the car. I was there with him, and he was right next to the window, there's three of us sitting side by side in the back seat and all of a sudden he winds down the window, he passes me his beer, I'm sitting in the middle of the car, passes me his beer and says, hold this, and starts to proceed to crawl his body out of the window. <laughs> he crawled out of the window while the car was still moving, hanging onto the roof racks of the car and then knocking on the window on the other side. My friend Jack Edgington pulls the window down and he starts to pull himself in from the other side. This became a thing that we referred to as roof surfing and later I ended up getting a ticket from the police for this exact event as well in a different location but he was a man who just loved life and he really affected my life in the sense that whenever I feel like I should get out and do something a lot of that pushes from him. He would make the most out of it even if it was a hard shitty situation he would push through it I know he would. Yeah very amazing person and his dad and brother Chromie and his brother Billy a lot of time and respect for those guys as well obviously Chris you guide all over the world particularly in New Zealand Honduras and now Northern California on the American River can you tell us a little bit more about the whitewater that you guided on in New Zealand particularly the Rotorua yeah, I'd love to. That's a little bit more of a cheery topic than talking about friends, but it is always good talking about people who have passed as well. They need to be talked about, need to be remembered. I worked in Rotorua. The main river was the Kaituna River. It's a beautiful lava flow, laha path. It's a very deep water gorge and short run takes about 30 to 40 minutes with customers but has 14 rapids and three waterfalls one of those waterfalls being two tier falls a beautiful 21 foot seven meter waterfall that you can raft down it's a real treat because there's not many places in the world that you can get to raft down a waterfall of such size and especially for it to be considered so safe it's an extremely safe waterfall because it has this big, big swimming pool essentially at the bottom. Obviously, it's not a swimming pool. The river is still flowing, but it's what I used to refer to it to the customers say. It's just the swimming pool. If we end up upside down, it, we just enjoy the swimming pool. 
Rotorua is a fantastic area. There's a lot of history, which for me, growing up down in Gildine, is a pretty white, retired, very quiet area with not that much Maori culture. So moving up to Rotorua, which is actually where the Maori people first landed, their walkers, when they came to New Zealand. They landed at the river mouth of the Kaituna River, and they followed the Kaituna River up to Lake Rotowiti. Lake Rotowiti translates to small lake, and if you follow the channel between Rotowiti and Rotorua, Rotorua translates into lake number two. So the Kaituna was a vast source of food and life for them there. They fished from there, they used the old caves to bury bodies, which they would place old warriors, dead corpses, back into these long caves which go back into the walls. And this way when the water came up, the eels and the other fish would be able to come in and feed away from the human's flesh as it was breaking down. The very basic principle that if you took life from the river that you would give your life back to the river and I just think that's a really beautiful concept. Kaituna means kai is to eat or food and tuna is river fish or eel so you get a little bit of feeling of how important it really was to them. Also in that area I worked on the rivers the Rangataiki which is a nice little technical Grade two, three run can get a little bit more busy in higher waters. Lots of fun. Very beautiful scenic section. And also the Wairoa River, which is one of the few places in the world that you'll front guide. I really enjoyed learning to front guide for the sense that it was something different. And it was kind of a bit of a traditional sense. You guide from the front of the boat because the back of the boat is like a donkey on steroids. It's kicking crazy all the time. And if you actually sit in the front of the boat, this is good to note if you're a skiered, maybe you're a little skiered and you're going rafting for the first time, you would naturally think that you'd sit in the back of the boat because it would be the safest place. I would recommend sitting in the front of the boat as that's where the best view is and also it's the least kick. It's not going to throw you around as much. So that's why we would guide from the front of the boat for the Wairoa. Absolutely love that river and would highly recommend it as a must-do for any rafting enthusiast. It's really quite a treat. It has changed over the years and now a few of the guides now do guide it from the back. But traditionally it was always guided from the front. If you ever see me out there I would always be guiding it from the front. It's just the right place to be on that river. Let's talk about Honduras. You guided in Honduras. Uh, yes, the water in Honduras is phenomenal. I mostly worked on the Rio Cungalajal, the river of crabs or river of mini crabs. My Spanish is not perfect by any means, so if my translation is wrong, I am very sorry. I worked for a company called Omega Tours, run by a German gentleman, Udo. The river is really quite technical and challenging with a lot of big boulders, huge granite big boulders the size of houses, some of them, and little channels, so you raft very small nine and a half to 12 foot long rafts. Warm, warm water, it's very enjoyable to be in, and good technical rafting. There's three sections on it. There's the lower section, which is a nice grade three section, but we had a, a series of different customers come through who had told us about how, oh no, no, I raft grade five, I've rafted on the gully, oh yes, yes, yes. 
and they come down and they do the little grade three section with us and they're like okay that was enough that was busy enough for us thank you then there is the middle section known as the juice which isn't actually commercially rafted we use it for the whitewater swimming portion when the water gets really low and also for whitewater kayaking it's very very good fun but we don't raft it because these big boulders also get sieved out on the underside of them so there are some of the biggest sieves I've ever seen in there not places you'd want to go in or out of your kayak and then you have the upper section of the Kangalahal this runs from a little township called Rio Viejo down to Las Mangas through the village of El Patel this is the best rafting section I have ever got to work phenomenal class 5 rapids right from the start so there's a great nice slide called veggies by choice and it's just the full package of great technical class 5 rafting some consequential places that you've got to keep an eye out for it's got the beautiful warm water the fantastic scenery you might get to see a toucan or two even got to see some river otters up there it's a fantastic fantastic river also, another river I worked on in Honduras was the Rio Seco, which we did a multi-day trip on. It's just another very enjoyable place to be. I would recommend that as well to people for a multi-day trip, the Rio Seco. Tell us a little bit about the lifestyle in Central America and what perhaps we can learn about the way that people live in Central America that might help with the stress levels that we encounter in the West. Yeah, there is a lot to be learned about it from down there. I laugh at the concept of first world, third world, because, yes, first world, we do have some very nice luxuries of power, clean water, but we get all these other stresses in our life, and we get so disconnected from the basic principles of family and nature and just being able to enjoy the current moment. Honduras is a very interesting country, as it's obviously... A very close place it's a big drug running state a lot of cocaine gets trafficked through Honduras actually just off the islands where I was working a lot of cocaine in that area so you do get to see the downside of that with people having some terrible addictions towards it and terrible things going on with their families one of my close friends down there named Darwin or goes by the name Pacheco is a great example of somebody that we all should learn from. He lost his little chalet, his little hut that he was living in. His hut's right beside the river. The river rose very, very high and very rapidly, and he was unable to get any of his belongings out of his chalet before the river took everything away with it. The walls and the whole thing was gone. But he didn't get upset. He stood there, and he was accepting that what the river wants the river will take darwin to me is just an amazing amazing character he's fluent in spanish and english and almost fluent in german as well for a man who's had very little to no formal education in these languages is just immensely smart and shows the resilience of some people when you really have a need and a want for something i did get the joy of down there getting to play football playing soccer as we'd call it in New Zealand with some of the local kids down there and local men. I was very out of place with my bare feet and them with all their fancy tacos or their shoes. But just getting to see the culture of how much it bonds around 
soccer, football, and family, food, and then just trying to get around things in nature. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration with Mandela on The Trail 1033. We are recording in Fjordland National Park in the Milford Sound, which is the most northern and 14th fjord on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. We are speaking with Chris Ewart from Geraldine, New Zealand. He's been whitewater boating since he was 10 years old, and you can now find him guiding on the forks of the American River. When we come back, we're going to speak to both Chris and his wife, Stephanie, who's sitting here with us, about the trip that they took driving an old Tacoma with an oversized camper from California to Honduras with their dog. And on this adventure, they rescued another dog from the jungle. And that dog's name is Jungle. And it sounds like an epic adventure, so stay tuned. But Chris, now it's time for a song. Can you share a song with us that reminds you of your adventures around Honduras? It's probably not extremely popular with many people nowadays, but my mum would like it, and it was stuck in my head for the first few weeks of our journey. The first time we left Honduras, my wife decided, she was my girlfriend at the time, she decided it'd be a great idea that we buy a motorcycle and we try to drive back to Carlsbad, San Diego. Uh, I'm pretty easy to get convinced on these things, and also I was pretty keen. So we bought a little motorcycle. As we were riding it back, I had this song from Rob Stewart, Maggie May, stuck in my head. So that would be the song I'd think of right now. And we actually ended up naming our motorcycle Maggie. Back to Mandela and the trail less traveled. We are recording in Fjordland National Park, which is New Zealand's largest national park. It's on the South Island's western coast. And we are currently inside the Milford Sound. The closest town to where we are right now is 123 kilometers away. There's only one road to get here. Then there's also the Milford Track, which will take you four days of hiking, about 55 kilometers of hiking over a pass and through the rainforest. Indeed, we are in a rainforest. This place gets more rain than the Amazon rainforest, and this month already, we've had over a meter of rain. I'm sitting here with my friends Chris Ewart and Stephanie White. Chris is from Geraldine, New Zealand. He's been whitewater boating since he was 11 years old, and you can now find him guiding on the forks of the American River. Stephanie White is originally from Carlsbad, California, and she is an amazing chef, a phenomenal dancer, who loves babies and puppies and basically all fuzzy living things, uh, including her husband, Chris, who's sitting here next to her. Now, I first met Chris because uh, we ran a waterfall this past summer on the American River, and normally we don't take clients down that waterfall. It's safer to take just one guy down at a time. So once again, thanks, Chris, for taking me down that fall. No worries, Mandela. We did very well, and... Yep, it was very good. It's always good to come out at the bottom upright. Now, Chris and Stephanie did a trip from California to Honduras in a little Toyota pickup with a camper and their dog, Bindi. They picked up another dog along the way in the jungle, and we're going to hear all about it. But I'm just going to hand the microphone over to the wonderful couple, Chris and Stephanie, and I'll let them take you on an adventure. Thank you, Mandela. Thank you. 
I guess we'll talk about how we rescued and acquired our new dog, Jungle. Well, this is when we were living in Honduras at the lodge Chris was working at. And it was in the middle of the night during a really huge rainstorm in the rainforest. So buckets and buckets of rain. Our room was right by a creek. And in the middle of the night, my dog, Bindi, started licking my face profusely. Just licking, licking, licking. This was about midnight. So I finally got out of bed and I heard a little whining sound outside by the creek and it kind of sounded like a dog and so I woke up Chris and Chris was a little bit grumpy to have to get out of bed and go into the rain but I I insisted that we had to go see what was going on so the three of us Bindi me and Chris after Chris got his clothes put on and opened his eyes a little bit and we got a headlamp we all go out into the rain and we're following this dog who's crying and we're soaking wet and the creek is rising and we see this dog wrapped up in a bunch of jungle vines literally hanging from the tree in these vines above the creek and we come closer to her and we didn't know if it was a girl or boy at the time but we come closer to her and she's really just super scared of us trying to bite Chris we couldn't get her out with our hands so we run inside grab a knife we go back out and cut her out of the vines she just dashed away from us and I felt really sorry for her so I put a little bowl of food out and a little blanket outside the door and we didn't see her that night but the next day the food was gone so we knew she had come and eaten and then slowly but surely she kept coming back we kept feeding her and finally after days and days of this she let us pet her and then slowly she decided to stay and never leave and then we decided well I guess she's our dog now her name is Jungle so Chris drove Jungle and Bindi back through Honduras, Guatemala and through Mexico back to California. I wish it was so much of a decision of ours that we decided to take the little dog. There was a little minor complication. We had talked briefly about the idea that, oh, we will take this dog. Maybe we'll take this dog back with us. Shall we take her on a little walk or something? And we went on a walk and unfortunately the dog, Little Jungle, got attacked by a much bigger dog while we were on this walk. The bigger dog, real big unfortunate thing here, was the boss's dog that I was working for at the time. This kind of unfortunately caused some bad blood between us all, but it's one of those things that happen and it's not a big problem, things heal up in time. But that was a major reason why we also had to take the dog, because now all of a sudden this poor dog had a big hole about the size of my hand missing from its little leg. So we had to take it in and get stitches, and that got ripped out. So we tried super gluing it back together. This was while I was on the road, and that got ripped out. She would keep licking the cut. Even with the big cone on, she could get her head around and lick the cut. And driving with two dogs, one of them with a big white cone on their head, is quite difficult, I must say. Eventually, lucky enough, I found a lady in Guatemala. She was pointing to her fireplace and saying something in Spanish that I couldn't understand. My Spanish is poor. And I thought that she was meaning she was going to take something hot and sear the dog's cut. And I was very tired at the time, so I was like, fantastic. Just do that. That'll get it done. But she actually just took some cold ash, some wood ash, 
and whacked it on the side of the dog's cut. Uh, I found out later that this is a great way to make the cut coagulate, dry up a lot easier, and also keep the bugs and insects away from it. Jungle completely transformed. It's been pretty amazing to see what a little bit of love and care can do for any living being. She just transformed from this really, really scared, wild animal who wouldn't even look at us in her eyes, would just be terrified to come near us. And then just with a little love and care, like I said before, she just transformed completely into this loving, sweet, friendly, trusting dog. And it's just amazing. It's so cool. I'm so glad she found us. Yeah, Jungle was eating horse poo and horse grains was how she was surviving in Honduras. So she gets fed pretty well now in comparison. (laughs) One of the funniest things I found about my journey driving back up with both dogs was the paperwork of how it is to bring a dog into the U.S. And I hope by saying this right now I do not make it any more difficult or make it any harder for people because it's a real treat to be able to bring a dog back like this. We had paperwork that we got signed showing that she had her shots and injections from Honduras, but of course the vet in Honduras is Spanish, so the paperwork was in Spanish. And when I got back to the border of Arizona and Mexico, I had to show the paperwork for the border security guy. He's like, do you have any paperwork for these dogs? I'm like, yes, of course I do. I pull out my paperwork I got from Honduras. I hand it over to the border officer and he looks at the paperwork and he goes, oh, this is in Spanish. I don't read Spanish. And then he leans in and looks at the dogs and goes, oh, but they look all right. (laughs) And it was just funny because... He didn't speak a word of Spanish or obviously read any Spanish, yet the gentleman on five minutes down the road at AutoZone was jumping fluently between Spanish and English, writing in both languages. So, go AutoZone, I guess, eh? <laughs> For someone listening who is considering a drive from, say, Montana down to Central America or even just Mexico, can you share a little bit of advice for someone who might be considering a trek like that? Uh, bring a dog <laughs> you might end up bringing another one back with you but we got asked a bunch of times right about would you bring a gun and neither of us are very big gun people at all are we no i would i would say don't be afraid because the countries between the united states and all of central america they're amazing and they're so beautiful and the people and the culture are so open and embracing and full of love and the food is fantastic and I just wouldn't be scared at all to do that and I would encourage anyone who has any sort of small desire to take that journey to go and do it and to use your intuition and keep your eyes open keep your eyes your heart open and listen to yourself and we're smart people humans you're right because the states that we got warned about, like Guerrero and Michoacan, and even Chihuahua, which we didn't realize was supposedly a dangerous state, these were the states which people were even more friendly, even more welcoming, and the scenery was amazing. I got some really good advice from this mechanic in Michoacan, because I was worried about the cartels and the drugs trafficking down there, and I'd heard so much bad stuff about Michoacan's 
things going on down there. He said, I'm just a mechanic and you're just a white tourist. Let's just keep it that way. He also gave me a very nice little bag of weed as well, which was the best weed I got in Mexico. Thank you to that mechanic. Lovely. You are on the trail less traveled. The community source for adventure information and inspiration. And today the trail leads us to Fjordland National Park. We are recording inside the Milford Sound, which is the 14th and most northern fjord in the park, which is the largest park in New Zealand. And this park is located on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. As I look out the window here, I see rainforest, blue sunny skies. Chris and Stephanie, what do you guys see out the window? Well, we're looking out the beautiful window here in the Padalon Inn, and we see some beautiful rainforest and some big granite mountains. And snow caps on top of the mountains. See some dirty sea kayaking gear waving in the wind on the clothesline as well. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me here on the Trail Less Traveled, giving me your time and energy for this interview, and also coming out and paddling with me on the fjord this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Mandela. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun getting to talk to you. Now I'd like to end the show with three bits of advice, three slices of adventure tips from each of you. My main advice would go back to my first point talking about midi and about my shoulder injury, just in the sense that it's your own body and you've got to make your own decisions. People can give you advice and people like I'm giving you advice right now, but it's only advice. It's nothing to go by. Just do what you want. It's really important. I think that's pretty good. What do you have there, Stephanie? A tip that I've learned from traveling is to stay in the moment, to be present, and especially in our daily lives but traveling really gives you that perspective because when you're really adventuring you have to be present especially on a big adventure if you're not present then maybe something bad can happen so if we can take that lesson of being present in our daily lives I think that could go a long way damn it that's what I was going to say anyway (laughs) I was just going to say if you could miss out on something good happening by not staying present like thinking about all the nice people who invited us in for food Mm -hmm. it's really crucial other advice I would suggest if you feel like somebody might be a bad person just go with your gut instinct it's a lot easier to apologize later for insulting somebody's feeling Don't feel bad about just doing what you feel is right at the time. Just thinking of a time in Guatemala where we both got the feeling that something was wrong and we took off running and we ran for like a good five minutes down this track, down this hill and then stopped thinking, oh, we're probably overreacting right here to look over my shoulder just a second later and to see these exact same two guys that we had the bad feeling about right there right behind us and so we took off running again (laughs) so it turned out it was pretty right advice i think just to go for it 
Stephanie, I'm grabbing the mic because Stephanie is an amazing cook. We just had the Wild Foods and Brews Festival here, and when we were outside digging trenches and setting up the tents, Stephanie was inside cooking up amazing food for us, and then she surprised us by bringing out this wok full of potatoes and garlic and onions and mushrooms, and then another plate of roasted tomatoes, and then just huge cast iron skillets full of scrambled eggs and cheese. It made everybody's day to have hot food like that. So, Stephanie, maybe you can share with us a little bit of advice on culinary skills. Well, I would say when you're cooking to love the food and love the people you're cooking for, it makes a big difference. And then some specific food things, you know, the three things that I like to make sure I have when I'm cooking is a good cast iron skillet, really high quality oil that is great with high heat, such as ghee or coconut oil, and fresh ingredients and well and, and and also good salt really good salt not just salt it has to be good salt very no good salt yes it's very important to note it has to be good salt because i've learned over the time that there's a difference between salt and good salt from my perspective paying a little bit extra for the food that we get is well worth it especially now how i know how it tastes so much better and it's better for my body and healthy which is good. My last piece of advice, I have to remind myself this all the time because it's very easy to get caught up in things, but you just have to enjoy each day and enjoy yourself. Enjoy the people who are around you because you don't even know what is going to happen to yourself or somebody else or the places you're in. So just actually take a moment to appreciate it every day, even if that sounds kind of a little cheesy and fairy, but seriously, just take a moment, enjoy it. Make sure you're at least smiling and happy. Beautiful. We have been recording on location in Fjordland National Park. Chris, what song would you like to end the show with? Can I just skip out on this because I've already given two pieces of musical choice and can I give it to Stephanie for her musical choice? I'm going to choose Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles because it's a happy song. It's something that we should think about that in dark times there is light and that's what that song reminds me of. It helps me. Kia ora, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Subscribe to The Trail Less Traveled podcast on iTunes and check out traillesstraveled.net to follow the show as it is recorded on location collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. I would like to thank my guests for this week, Chris Ewart and Stephanie White. Chris has been whitewater boating for the past decade and has guided in New Zealand, Honduras, and currently on the forks of the American River in Northern California. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. And every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world, such as Fjordland National Park on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. Right now, I look out the window and I'm surrounded by rainforest and peaks which are so high they intersect the clouds the Milford Sound.
and we will be broadcasting the show from the Milford Sound over the next summer season in New Zealand for those of you up north in Montana and other places around the world. And what an adventure it is to get this show to you guys every week. The closest town is 123 kilometers away. I guide sea kayaking for 10 days with four days off. And the internet here is non-existent. So to get this show to you guys, it involves a little bit of hitchhiking, a little bit of trekking in the jungle, and plenty of love. So thank you so much for listening, and please continue to, as we report from New Zealand with a trail less traveled. My adventure tip this week is to take care of your lips, your nose, and ears. In New Zealand, it's quite common to use zinc, and it leaves a white residue on the face, but better that than the consequences of a sunburn on the largest organ on your body. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar simply doesn't shred itself. <laughs>